Heads up, horror fans. Say no to drugs and stay out of the basement. You're listening. We interrupt our program to bring you Final Girl Friday. Hello, my fellow homebodies. Welcome to Final Girl Friday. My name is Molly, and I like scary movies. So that's what this podcast is all about. On a normal day. (laughs) Of course, today is anything but normal. This week, this month has been anything but normal. And I would like to address what's happening in the world right now in my way. But before I can go any further, I have a very long overdue announcement to make. Things have been so crazy around here. And in all the to-do, I completely forgot to announce the winner of our Slaughter High t-shirt giveaway, which, yes, I picked the winner like two months ago, and yes, he already got his shirt, and those of you who hang out with us on the Discord, you already know who won, but I didn't announce it here, and that will not stand. So without any further ado than the two months of ado we have already had, the winner of Final Girl Friday's very first t-shirt giveaway was... Jordy. Congratulations, Jordy. Jordy won a Doddsville County High School Class of 86 t-shirt from Gutter Garbs. The giveaway was not sponsored by Gutter Garbs. It's just where the shirt came from, but it was essentially sponsored by my patrons. So thank you guys so much for pledging to my Patreon and helping me give fun stuff away to fun people. I'm really looking forward to doing more of that in the future. That being said, those of you out there listening who are out of work like me and who do pledge to my Patreon, it's your money and I cannot tell you how to spend it, but I would personally feel more comfortable if you withdrew your pledges for the time being because we need every penny we have for things that take huge priority over this project like food and toiletries and Killstar's 30% off everything including clearance sale, (laughs) also not sponsored. I don't, I don't know how to talk about a pandemic, you know? This is a unique situation, and it's a scary and a surreal one. A lot of us are dealing with degrees of anxiety and cabin fever that we have never quite felt before. I think a lot of us are starting to appreciate the plight of the overlooked caretaker on a whole new level. And that's what I want to focus on, actually, not The Shining, although I I do kind of always just want to focus on The Shining. But I I don't want to try to take it upon myself to relay hard-hitting news about COVID-19 because that's awkward as fuck for me. That's, That's not natural. I am a girl who likes horror movies, and I analyze and review them. That is what I do. But I look around and I see all the good that people are doing right now, like Kyle MacLachlan hosting a Twin Peaks watch party on Twitter and Jack Black doing like mostly naked quarantine dances on TikTok, which by the way, was adorable. And on a local level, local to Omaha, we have Amateur Coffee's new Stay the Fuck Home blend selling out in half of a day, I think. It sold out so fast. Everybody rallied to support Amateur and to buy that blend. And we have Scooters, which is donating 29,000 cans of cold brew to Nebraska Medicine and other medical facilities in the area, not to mention tenant protection orders and tons of local businesses keeping their lights on by way of new home deliveries, which in addition to helping those businesses, it's also making life a lot easier for those of us who are stuck at home. There's just, there's a lot of good stuff amid the bad. And uh, I'm not a healthcare specialist. I'm not an essential worker of any kind, actually. I'm a barista at a board game cafe. (laughs) And I don't know any more or less about COVID-19 than the average person. But I want to be able to contribute something positive, to put something good out into the world during this crapgasm of a situation in which we find ourselves. So I thought about that for a while. And I came up with nothing. Just I had I I came up with nothing. I I have like almost no disposable income. What little money I do have, I have been kind of trying to funnel into some of the businesses that I love, trying to help them out as much as I can, which is not a lot. But so like donating to charities in any sort of significant way is really not much of an option for me. I don't dance, well, on camera. There is something, there is one subject at which I do kind of consider myself a bit of an expert. Not horror films. I, I don't even remotely consider myself an expert on horror films. I just happen to love them. But I am a bit of an expert at staying inside and not socializing. <laughs> this comes from having lived with agoraphobia for more than a decade of my life. 
I'm relatively high functioning at present. I'm well medicated. I have a good job or, well, I had a good job before the pandemic. I have great friends and a boyfriend and I maintain those relationships pretty well, right? Right? Yeah. Pretty, I maintain them pretty well. But there was a time in my life, there have been a couple of times actually, where none of that was true. During my darkest period, I didn't step foot outside my house or even onto my front porch for 13 months. That was my longest housebound experience. And spending that much time trapped inside my home, it sucked. But it also taught me how to live like that without losing my mind any more than I already had. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and he began our conversation by saying, Molly, I am going crazy. I cannot spend even two days in a row stuck inside. I'm going to explode. I have to have something to do. For me, that is such a foreign concept. And when I reacted that way, like when my reaction was, man, what is that like? Like, What does it feel like to not have any clue what to do when you're trapped inside? It occurred to me, and this might sound really dumb, but having agoraphobia, living with it, surviving it has been the hardest thing that I have ever had to do. Most of the time, I wish more than anything that I could just snap my fingers and fix my brain. But right now, being agoraphobic is a little bit like a superpower, <laughs> at least for someone who's been laid off and taking the stay at home and social distancing seriously. So that is what I am going to try to contribute. The positive thing that I can try to throw out into the world right now is to share some of the things that I have learned over the years, things that keep me healthy and active and relatively happy when I'm not able to leave my house. I don't know if the information will be of any use to anyone, and the list isn't really like a long, involved one full of magical solutions to intense boredom, really, but it's all I have to offer, so damn it, I want to offer it. I really hope it helps someone. If even one person benefits from something that I say during the course of this episode, I will be thrilled. I would like to follow that up with a few points of interest in horror news, as well as an obligatory list of what for me are pandemic appropriate movies. None of the movies I'm going to talk about today feature actual viral outbreaks, but a couple of them do feature cataclysmic events that mimic viral outbreaks. So I hope they'll count for you. They count for me. More than anything, I want to take this opportunity to talk about films that I feel have been overlooked by the countless other websites and YouTubers doing lists like this. Um, we will most likely end things today with a new segment called Worst Case Scenario, where I pose a hypothetical question across social media and then read my favorite responses. I did intend to touch down on more trivial things like what the hell's been going on with me for the last couple of months, but I realized that it just, it hasn't been much. Um, like I know if you're a patron, then the last time you heard from me was in February. If you're not a patron, I've been gone since like mid-January. So that's a, that's a lot of time that's passed since the last time you heard from me. But it takes like 10 seconds to explain that I was laid up with a leg injury and then my laptop crashed and then I had to wait for a new computer and then the pandemic happened. That's literally all the information I have about where I've been. <laughs> so yeah, so I probably won't devote too much time to talking about what's been going on in my personal life this time around. But uh Okay, that's, yeah, that's the show that I have planned. I guess on one final personal note, I would like to say that I am someone who spends a great deal of her life feeling afraid. It's the biggest reason behind my assuming the final girl moniker. It's why I have idolized characters like Laurie Strode and Nancy Thompson, Ellen Ripley my entire life because they are able to defeat their demons while I tend to cower in the presence of mine. I am an anxious, fearful person. I am doing everything I can not to let that anxiety, that fearfulness, make my decisions for me right now. If you are feeling anxious or scared, I would ask you to join me in kicking its ass every day and staying positive as well as patient because that will get us through this. I don't know. Like I said, this is as new to me as it is to the rest of the world. If all of this is coming across as just utterly lame, I apologize. I don't know how to talk about this stuff. 
but that's what we're here to do. So let's talk. All right. So it is important to note that I am not a doctor or a psychiatrist. And some of these things that I'm going to suggest are are probably going to seem pretty obvious, like you may already be doing most of them. But if you are having a difficult time not being able to go out, not being able to socialize, if you are going out of your mind at home, hopefully some of these things will help you. They've, They've helped me. I do think, and this will be the only thing that I say on this particular subject, um, you know, but I do think that one of the best things that we can do to help ease this situation uh, is to take it seriously. I know that in the United States, at least, there is a lot of nonchalance being thrown around about COVID-19. The general attitude from a lot of Americans is that it's being blown out of proportion and that they don't have to worry about it because it's only affecting people of a certain age or who are already suffering from respiratory conditions, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So there are a lot of people that think it's stupid to take it seriously. And I would remind those people that a lot of carriers of coronavirus are asymptomatic and that just because you don't feel sick and just because you are confident in your immune system does not mean that you going outside can't make someone else sick, that you not caring can't result in the deaths of others. Bearing that in mind, if you are unable to leave your home, I think the number one most important thing to remember is to exercise. And again, I realize that's a pretty obvious one, but it's so important, especially if you are somebody who doesn't exercise very often. Like you don't go out of your way to exercise. You just sort of get exercise naturally throughout the day. So one thing that I do, I'm in the habit of stretching a lot. In fact, I would say that I spend about a third of the time that I record my episodes stretching while I'm recording them. And then at least once a day, because I I like to watch, I'm a person who likes to watch at least a movie a day. I like to have that form of escapism on the daily. And uh, so a lot of the time, I'll just walk in place while I'm watching it. It's something very simple, but it really does help. At least I find that it really helps with your circulation. And if you're not used to sitting for long periods of time, you may start to notice things when you do, like your feet and ankles swelling up in a way that they don't normally, or your back hurting in places you didn't know it could hurt. I think the risk of these things can be minimized by just regular, simple exercises. You don't need a treadmill. You don't need a routine or like a video to follow. Just do what feels natural. Stretch your limbs and walk in place. Secondly, along those same lines, although this I think is much more psychological, when I get up in the morning or sometimes the afternoon, I do my hair, I do my makeup, I get dressed as if I'm going to leave the house. I have found that the better I look, the better I feel. And maybe that sounds shallow, I don't know, but it really works for me. Have you ever had a, a, an entire apartment or just a single room that just gets completely out of control messy? And when you finally clean it, you realize just how much the mess was affecting your mood? It's the same kind of a thing. Sometimes doing just that, just getting up in the morning and straightening my hair and putting on eyeliner and staying like that, even though I'm not going anywhere, it helps my brain. And it makes me feel more energetic, makes me feel more productive. It all, it's almost like it tricks my brain into thinking I've left the house. <laughs> this third recommendation that I have, and honestly, if I hadn't done this, I don't know if I would be sitting here talking to you guys today. It is the one thing that has kept me going as a guarantee, and that is pursue personal projects. And that can be anything from learning how to knit, to writing a novel, to hosting a podcast. (laughs) Like, If you are out of work, right now I think is the perfect opportunity to pursue some personal passion that you have always wanted to dive deep into, but you just don't have the time. And not only will you probably learn something in the process, create something in the process, which is always such a wonderful feeling anytime that you create something new, but it it also helps pass the time. Since I was laid off, I have finished a chapter of the novel that I've been working on for like four years. I am one of 8 billion people currently working on a novel. Um, It felt really good. I mean, it sucks. These circumstances are awful, but it did feel good to finish a chapter of my book. The two things that I would caution against 
absolutely 100% limit your internet usage. And I say that as somebody who consumes like an inordinate amount of media via the internet all day, every day. But I take breaks. I have to take breaks, especially if you are someone who is not accustomed to hanging out at home for long periods of time. This is the perfect time to discover that you're susceptible to game addiction. <laughs> you know, it's a good idea to just limit your internet usage to a couple of hours at a time. When you notice that you've been online for a little while, take a break, put your phone down, get away from your desk, walk around your apartment or socialize with your family, whoever's there in the house, spend some time together, play some board games. Um, I realize I'm biased in favor of board games. I do work at a board game cafe, but I think they're a wonderful way to pass the time as well as bond with others that doesn't require the internet. And then little thing, but especially if you live in a smaller apartment, like a studio, some apartment with not a whole lot of space, and if you have a TV in your bedroom, if you can, try not to hang out in your bed. If you do it too much, it can profoundly affect your ability to sleep well. And uh, I don't know why, I don't understand necessarily the science behind it, but I have found it to be completely true. If I spend too much time in bed while I'm awake, it becomes very difficult for me to get good solid sleep when I'm supposed to be sleeping. So that would be something else I would caution against. I feel like these are all relatively healthy daily life habits that can help stave off depression in a time like this where it's very easy to become depressed. I became depressed without even realizing it was happening to me until I was deep in the throes of it. So if all of this advice seems like trite or obvious, I wish that somebody had said all of this to me 10 years ago. It's very possible that some of these stay-at-home orders will last months so, I mean, I think it is important to kind of bear some of this stuff in mind so that we don't all slip into our own little void from which it can oftentimes be very difficult to climb out. And that brings me to the free content that we have available right now, of which there is so much. First and foremost, uh, Shudder has extended their free trial to last an entire month. So if you use the code SHUTIN, then you'll get 30 free days of Shudder. And there are some wonderful movies, podcasts, original TV series. If you do subscribe to Shudder, uh, I recommend there's a podcast on there called She Kills. It's one of my favorites right now. Some of the movies that I personally love that are available on Shudder right now um, are The Exorcist 3, which is my favorite exorcist. Several of the Phantasm films, Chopping Mall, which I just watched again for the like 12th time the other day, and it gets better every time I see it. In the Mouth of Madness, which is a classic. Big Bad Wolves is on there. Um, not necessarily a horror film, but definitely an interesting watch. And uh, Smoke and Mirrors, the story of Tom Savini. Showtime has also extended their free trial to last 30 days. And there's some pretty great horror titles on Showtime. You've got The Babadook, uh, the entire Scream series. There's also a version of Reanimator that I've never seen. I'm guessing from the title, the full title is Herbert West Reanimator. I'm assuming they're trying to stick a little more closely to the original short story. In addition to movies and television, Fangoria Magazine is also offering two months of uh, free content on their website. So their, their digital subscription service has been open to the public for the next two months. Also, Rue Morgue Magazine is offering their current issue for free. And through their website, I actually learned that they have a YouTube channel called Rue Morgue TV. I had never heard of this and it is great. They have so many great videos like interviews and special effects workshops, featurettes, just all kinds of great things. So thank you, Rumorg, for making your current issue free because if you hadn't done that, I may not have discovered your YouTube channel. Also, uh, the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California is offering free virtual haunted house tours, which I just think is so cool. I know most of us don't have a lot of money to throw around right now, but I also know that most of us want to be able to support the businesses we love through this. So if you are looking for a little bit of retail therapy, there are quite a few stores that are having sales. Black Craft Cult is uh, doing uh, free shipping on any order, regardless of how much you spend. They were also offering free Baphomet face masks with every order, but I do believe that they're out of stock. I'm going to interrupt myself here to give you a quick update on that. If you were interested in acquiring a free Baphomet face mask from Blackcraft, they are currently back in stock. I got an email about it an hour ago. Killstar is doing 30% off of everything, including clearance. Five Finger Tees is offering 20% off site-wide with code CoronaSucks. And yes, I realize that all of the sales I just talked about 
are clothing related. I buy a lot of clothes online, okay? It's, it's all I know. There are also a lot of authors, not just horror authors, but just a bunch of writers offering ebooks for free. Also, a lot of my favorite YouTubers are working really hard to post content regularly through all of this. Uh, we watched a movie. I think they are posting something new like every day. Dead Meat, of course, he's done a couple of bonus kill counts uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks of wreck and quarantine that have been very entertaining. So we shouldn't run out of good stuff to do, you know? I think that's mostly everything that I have, everything I made a note of anyway. If you know of some free content that I didn't mention, and I'm sure I overlooked a lot, please feel free to let me know. All right, so before I dive into my pandemic movie watch list uh, for the week, I want to talk about some of the things that have happened in horror news. First and foremost... Uh, Stuart Gordon passed away on March 24th. I actually already recorded myself talking about this, and I became obnoxiously emotional. So I'm recording it again. Um, I know that it is perfectly normal and natural for us to become affected by people that we have never met. There's nothing wrong with it. Even people who drive halfway around the world to visit the grave sites or landmarks that were important to, you know, someone that they idolize. Like, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But for me personally, whenever I feel myself getting like excessively emotional over the death of someone I never even knew, I hate it. I hate myself in that moment. <laughs> and um, I had a really hard time getting through talking about Stuart Gordon dying. So anyway, take two. Stuart Gordon was responsible for my favorite horror movie, Reanimator. And uh, <laughs> I'm doing it again. Reanimator changed my life. It's an important film to me. Yes, I know it's Reanimator. It is the quintessential B comedy horror gore fest. And I know how silly it sounds to hear someone say that it changed their life, but it did. I used to attend weekly movie nights at a house here in town. They called it Splatter House. Double horror feature, usually themed with a pretty great intermission. A lot of times people would bring like thematic dessert foods and sometimes they would even do like little gift giveaways. I had only been in Omaha for uh, less than a year when I started going to them and almost all of the friends that I made in Omaha were a part of that group. I had never seen Reanimator and they showed it one night. I want to say that they actually did it as a Stuart Gordon double feature. I think they also showed From Beyond. So two things happened that day. Firstly, I fell madly in love with Jeffrey Combs, but I also realized that night exactly how much I really loved the horror genre. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Reanimator in particular kind of encompasses most aspects of the genre. You have extreme gore. You also have very well-executed humor. You have nuanced themes. Obviously, I didn't see the version with all of the um, more blatant hypnosis stuff in it, but there were definitely undertones between... Dr. Hill and Megan Halsey that were disturbing. And so anyway, I don't know that I would have become the sort of person that wanted desperately to host a horror movie related podcast if it weren't for that film and by extension, Stuart Gordon. I've read a handful of really wonderful pieces written on Stuart Gordon since his passing. Chris Shields from Film Comment, in particular, he had a lot of really great things to say. He wrote, Gordon's film work has earned him a spot among the ranks of masters of horror, but like the best of his contemporaries, Carpenter, Dante, Argento, the category feels narrow for what the director brought to the screen. I recommend going over to Film Comment and reading that entire article. It is it is great. In addition to Reanimator, Stuart Gordon brought us From Beyond, Castle Freak, as well as a couple of wonderful episodes of Masters of Horror. Personally, Dreams in the Witch House and The Black Hat are two of my favorites. He also co-wrote both The Dentist and The Dentist 2. Uh, he wrote the book for Reanimator the Musical. And that, I mean, that barely scrapes the surface of, of everything that he accomplished in his life, everything that he gave us. I would like to take a second to remember Stuart Gordon. He was very important to a lot of people myself included, and he will be missed. The little horror movies that are the scariest, you know, you look at movies like, uh, you know, Night of the Living Dead, you know, um, or Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and these movies were made for, you know, tiny, tiny budgets. But what really set them apart was that they were, were willing to go much further than a major studio would. 
you know, they were ready to break rules. Okay, on to happier news. Evidently, Glenn Danzig has made a horror film. And I have not seen it, but I need this movie in my life immediately. It's being hailed all across the internet as um, the horror equivalent of The Room, which that in and of itself sells it to me instantly. You guys know that I don't put any stock at all in Rotten Tomatoes, but it has a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, 2 out of 10 stars on IMDb. Andrew Todd of Birth Movies Death wrote an article entitled How to Prepare for Glenn Danzig's Trash Opus Verotica, in which he basically gives you like a rundown, like a step-by-step -step of everything that you need to know about film before you go into this particular movie, which apparently just misses the mark every time I guess Danzig was kind of going for like an Argento or Mario Bava thing. In this article, he says, the more in touch with cinema you are, the more you'll get out of Verotica. That's something you would usually say about high art, but it's equally applicable to high trash. And boy, is Verotica the highest goddamn trash you'll see this year. I did watch the trailer and it looks really bad, guys. Like, I'm so excited about this movie. I cannot wait to see it. For those of you who are not familiar with him, Glenn Danzig is the former frontman for both The Misfits and Sam Hain. He also owns an erotic comic book company, and um, the film Verotica is, from what I understand, a it's like a collection of stories based on books published through that company. From everything that I have come to know about Glenn Danzig, I know that it has to, on some level, hurt him how much everyone is making fun of this movie. Glenn Danzig is not known for his sense of humor, but... Um, uh, so I, I don't mean any disrespect to the man, but I I, <laughs> I am highly entertained already, and I haven't even seen the film. Verotica was released last year and is available on Amazon Prime for $3.99 if you'd like to rent it. For a little recommended reading, uh, if you go over to bloodydisgusting.com, you'll find an essay written by Mike Flanagan about the importance of the horror genre in relation to COVID-19. It is such a moving article. I, I refer you to my doctor sleep review. Oh God, Mike Flanagan. Can we just talk about Mike Flanagan for a second? Because this fucking guy. It's such a great article. I don't even want to read any of it. I don't want to spoil any of it. Just go to Bloody Disgusting, read the essay. It it will move you, I promise. Also, in response to COVID-19, Stephen King has a new book coming out called If It Bleeds, and it's going to be released a month earlier than planned. Uh, they're trying to get it into our hands as soon as possible so that we have yet still more uh, wonderful entertainment to enjoy while we are stuck at home. So that's really exciting. The uh, the ETA on If It Bleeds is April 21st. I think it was scheduled to be released sometime at the end of May. Uh, we should have it by the end of April. I think actually that is most of, of what I have right now for horror news. If you are hungry for more, as usual, I recommend checking out some of my favorite websites, Bloody Disgusting, Dread Central, HorrorNews.net, iHorror.com. Any of those websites are excellent sources for what's going on in the world of horror. And now I would like to share with you some of the movies that I have been watching during my time stuck here at home. It's no surprise to me that right now, so many people, whether they're, you know, fanatics of the horror genre or not, are just gobbling up as much post-apocalyptic film content as possible. And there are some wonderful lists popping up all over the place with excellent movie recommendations. Everything from, you know, Outbreak to Contagion, which I think is probably the one I've seen recommended the most. People are even recommending The Happening right now. Guys, please don't watch The Happening. The pandemic has not made it any less terrible, I promise. But there have been a few movies that I have had a craving for that I haven't really seen included in most of these lists. And I, I think partly because I think a lot of these websites are trying to recommend movies that you can access through like popular streaming sites. So Netflix, Hulu, you know, kind of focusing on movies that like if you already have the subscription service, then it's not going to cost you anything to go and look this movie up and watch it. So I think that plays a part in, you know, why I'm seeing so many of like the same films recommended across multiple websites. I also know that a couple of the films that I personally have found comfort in during this time just might not be the most popular picks. And those of you who've been with me for a while know that I will take any opportunity to defend the underdog. So the first one that I want to talk about, I have not seen on a single list. I think I know why people seem to kind of be half and half with this movie. Like they either hate it 
with a fiery passion or they're like me and they love it. It didn't really get the most glowing reviews when it was released. And um, I think a lot of people now, if you weren't on the side of I absolutely love this, I think a lot of people have just kind of forgotten that it exists. And that movie is Mom and Dad, directed by Brian Taylor, released in 2018. Maybe this is just because I have seen like 28 Days Later and Zombieland and Night of the Living Dead like 400 times. I want something a little different from my Outbreak movies. Mom and Dad delivers that completely. It is a movie about a kind of mass hysteria that spreads like a virus throughout certain people all over the world. And in my opinion, it's it's done very well in a way that more than anything, is like a reflection of our own tension and anxiety during a time like this. It's not a movie you want to watch if you want to forget that you are feeling tense. <laughs> it will validate your feelings of tension. I'm saying this, I guess, kind of like as my version of a trigger warning, that if you are already feeling especially anxious, this might not be the best watch for you. But I like it. And it makes me happy that I'm not out in the world around other people, that's for sure. Also kind of makes me feel really glad that I have never had children. So the film stars Selma Blair, and it was just really great to see her again when I first saw this film. I hadn't seen her in anything in a long time. It was kind of like when you realize that Alicia Silverstone plays the mother at the beginning of The Lodge. It was that kind of like, oh my god, I really missed your face. And Nicolas Cage, being as Nicolas Cage as he can possibly be, he fits so well into the role that he plays in this film. So he and Selma play suburban parents. They used to be edgy, used to be a little punk rock, but then they fell in love, got married, had kids, and moved to the suburbs. Both of them are independently sort of struggling with where their life has ended up. They find themselves reflecting a lot on where they came from and who they used to be and how much they wish they could get that back. And while they're going through this very, I think, normal series of emotions, an outbreak sweeps through the world of violent hysteria that only seems to be affecting parents. Parents are snapping and brutally murdering their children. Nobody else's children, just their own. The film, in my opinion, it's very well paced. It has an excellent energy. It's a very high energy film. And it also has one of my favorite scores of 2018. I thought that it was very well scored. It's not necessarily scary, but it is funny. And at times, a little disturbing. More than anything, it's just extremely relatable. At least it was for me. I'm 36 years old. I was uber goth in the 90s. I was too cool for school, literally. And, uh, a child, I mean, I'm talking a child, coughed mockingly at me yesterday because I was walking down the street to the grocery store wearing my bandana mask. I can only imagine what that must feel like when those mocking tones and that ignorant arrogance that comes with youth is directed at you from someone who came out of your vagina. Maybe I wasn't supposed to relate so strongly to the parents. Maybe that's not the point, but I did. And um, I think it's a great movie and I highly recommend it for this time in which we are living currently. Now, this next film is less to do with viral outbreak and more to do with extreme isolation, being cut off from the world for days or weeks on end in a very small space with only a couple of other people and not really knowing exactly what's going on in the world outside. Now, unlike Mom and Dad, I was actually surprised that I didn't see this included in more lists simply because I know that this one was very well received. I think it's extremely appropriate for what we're going through. And that is 10 Cloverfield Lane, directed by Dan Trachtenberg and released in 2016. 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is set in the Cloverfield universe, but you really don't feel like you're watching a Cloverfield movie at all, except maybe at the very end. It is absolutely its own film. And it tells the story of a young woman played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who is in a car accident and she wakes up in an underground shelter with two people that she doesn't know, one of whom is John Goodman. Every time I see a John Goodman film, I discover something new about him that I didn't realize. And what I discovered about him in 10 Cloverfield Lane is that he is a damn fine villain. Like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And I don't know if that's actually a spoiler or not, because I don't think I've ever seen a trailer for 10 Cloverfield Lane. Let me pause for a moment and go watch a trailer for the movie to make sure that I'm not spoiling anything. Okay. 
Okay, yeah, no. I didn't spoil anything. They are not even remotely trying to hide the fact that John Goodman is a villain in the film. It was a really good trailer, actually. I guess now that I think about it, he does also play a very sinister character in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But he's not in it for that long. I, I guess it's just that's not what I think of when I think of John Goodman as an amazing villain. I think 10 Cloverfield Lane. But the film itself, it's a claustrophobic film. It was for me... Uh, The first time that I saw it, especially a frightening film, there are several moments in the film where I feel genuinely scared, either for Michelle, the main character, or just in general. I think it has all the right atmosphere for an isolation-themed movie. I don't want to say too much more about it because it's a journey. Just watch it. Watch 10 Cloverfield Lane. It's, It's great. The next movie on my list has been undoubtedly included because of my intense bias in favor of 90s teen horror movies written by Kevin Williamson. (laughs) They are some of my favorite things about life. And I was super bummed that I didn't see many people recommending it. I did see it on a couple of lists, but not that many. And I think that it would make a wonderful addition to your pandemic watch list. And that is The Faculty, directed by Robert Rodriguez from 1998. Now, the story of The Faculty itself was co-written by David Wechter and Bruce Kimmel, but Kevin Williamson wrote the screenplay, so you know it provides you with top-notch teen drama and dialogue. It's definitely much more similar to, like, Mom and Dad than it is to something like 10 Cloverfield Lane, because you have this kind of, like, what, what behaves a little like a virus gradually creeping through the entire world's population or the population of the town in which our main characters live, at least. Everyone around them is changing. They're not quite themselves themselves and nobody's quite sure why. And so this group of teen misfits ends up kind of being thrown together and they don't know who to trust, who's got it, who doesn't, who's going to be next, that kind of a thing. You have Clea Duvall, Elijah Wood, Josh Hartnett, um, Piper Laurie is in it, Jon Stewart plays a role. Like there are so many great faces and um, some really wonderful moments. It does have quite a bit of comedy. Nowadays, It's not really, it doesn't really feel all that scary. And because it was already a little admittedly derivative of films that came before it, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it just, it harbors few surprises. Although I will say there is a twist at the end that when I saw this in the theater, I did not see coming. But eh, this is one that you don't watch necessarily to be scared. You watch this to be entertained. All right, next up on the list is another isolation-heavy film. It's also just one of my personal favorite films. If I were ever to sit down and make a list of, like, the greatest movies ever made, this one would absolutely be on there. And I enjoy watching it when I'm feeling especially cooped up. The film is Wait Until Dark, directed by Terrence Young, released in 1967. It stars Audrey Hepburn and an unbelievably suave-looking young Alan Arkin. I can't even begin to do justice to how great this movie is. Wait Until Dark tells the story of Sam Hendricks, a young blind woman beset upon by criminals who invade her home and take advantage of her sensory deprivation to torture information out of her. It's definitely not something I think people would really call a horror movie. It's much more a psychological thriller, but it is a damn effective one. You feel like you are right there with Sam through the entire film. Your your senses are deprived as well. You are also trapped in the house. You are also afraid. Like it it does oh, it's everything that I love about film exists in Wait Until Dark. It's so evocative and frightening. It is a truly frightening film, at least for me. It also has a spectacular score, a much better score than Mom and Dad. And it most likely will also help you feel better about not being around other people. (laughs) If you don't watch any of the other movies that I've recommended, watch Wait Until Dark. The final film on my list um, is one that I actually just saw for the first time a couple of weeks ago, right before news of the pandemic reached us here in Omaha. It was recommended to me by my mother. Anytime there is a movie or TV series or book that comes out that features an agoraphobic heroine or an agoraphobic character in general, my mom is all over it. She sends me these recommendations all the time. Well, I say all the time, but agoraphobia really isn't featured heavily in contemporary media of any kind, so it's not something she can recommend a lot. The unfortunate truth is that most of the time when agoraphobia does exist in film or television, it's not really represented well. The best example of that, of the misrepresentation that I can think of, is a film called Intruders. Uh, It was released back in 2016. Not to be confused with Scott Spiegel's Intruder from 1989, which I absolutely love. Intruders from 2016 is a horror film where the main character is agoraphobic. 
If you haven't seen it, that's that's what it is. And they really, they use her agoraphobia as a plot device. I say that that way because, I mean, any movie where a character is agoraphobic, the agoraphobia is most likely going to be used as a plot device. Um, and especially in horror films, it can be a very useful plot device. It, it, there's a lot to work with. I'm, I've always been so surprised that agoraphobia doesn't feature more in horror films. But they did it in a way that really pissed me off in Intruders. They used it until they didn't need it anymore. And then they just threw it away. It sends a really fucking infuriating message about agoraphobia to people that don't know how it works, that don't understand it, which is a lot of people. I just felt like it was doing nothing but perpetuating that problem. Then you have films like the one that I'm about to recommend, I swear, I am getting to it, where it's not even really about agoraphobia as it exists in the minds of people, you know, in the real world. But they still manage to represent agoraphobia better than most of the movies I've seen that are actually trying. The film I'm talking about is called The Last Days. It was directed by Alex and David Pastor. I hope I'm pronouncing their last name correctly. It is a Spanish film from 2013. It is also currently available on Hulu. And it's a, I think it's a great, a great film in general, but definitely a good film to watch right now because it has both. That post-apocalyptic viral outbreak feel while at the same time greatly reinforcing the importance of social distancing. <laughs> it tells the story of this cataclysmic event where everybody in the world is gradually infected. And I, I mean, you know, again, I'm using quotes. Sometimes I really wish I did a vlog because I make a lot of hand gestures and most of the time they're superfluous, but sometimes I, I wish you could see them. This event that has sort of infected everyone with extreme agoraphobia. I think they call it the panic. But of course, unlike real agoraphobia, where you're susceptible to severe panic attacks, in this case, if you go outside, you die. And it hits people at odd times too, because it doesn't necessarily creep up on you gradually. It's just spreading gradually through everyone. And when it hits you, wherever you happen to be inside at the time is where you're stuck. And so the story is about two men who work in the same office building. They don't get along at all. The panic happens and they end up sort of teaming up and traveling together underground to try to get to their respective loved ones. And I mean, my opinion may change upon second viewing as is, you know, sometimes the case, but man, I thought it was really good. I didn't shut up about it all day when it was done. And what I really enjoyed and the reason that I say that I feel like they represented agoraphobia well is because of their depiction of this viral panic. There's one scene in particular kind of toward the end where I felt like for the very first time, the cinematography, the editing, the direction, all of it, it all went into this magical moment where they nailed it, where they really got it right, what it's like living with this condition. Whether they were trying to do that specifically or not, I can't say, but something deep within me was profoundly satisfied by this film. Honorable mentions, of course, would be Hitchcock's The Birds, Night of the Living Dead classic, 1408. That's a great movie to watch, really just if you want a high-quality haunted hotel story, but also if you are really feeling it with the isolation. Copycat, another film with an agoraphobic character. Obviously, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, another one of my all-time favorites. David Cronenberg's Rabid from 1977. It Comes at Night. That's a title that I've seen on a lot of lists, and deservedly so. The Omega Man, It Stains the Sands Red, which... That one grew on me. I was very excited to see that film, and then I watched it, and I was underwhelmed, to say the least. I didn't get it. I didn't get why everybody was so crazy about it. And I, I watched it a couple more times, because usually if everyone that I know and respect is freaking out over a movie, I, I keep telling myself, like, I must be missing something. And I think in this case, that was true, because around my third time watching it, I was like, oh, this movie's great. <laughs> I get it now. I think that's it for recommendations. I think that's really all I have right now. Um, as I said, there are so many other fantastic lists out there right now. Just throw a rock and you will hit like three lists of really good post-apocalyptic viral outbreak and isolation themed films. We shouldn't run out of good stuff to watch. Didn't I say we shouldn't run out of good stuff to do earlier? And I said we shouldn't run out of good stuff to watch. We shouldn't run out of stuff basically is my point. If you have a movie or movies or TV series that you have really been enjoying during your time stuck at home, head over to the Discord and tell me all about it. You can join the Discord by heading over to my Patreon, not pledging, and um, 
<laughs> Please don't pledge to my Patreon right now. I'm not important, but if you go to the Patreon and you scroll down through the About Me section, about halfway down, you'll find an open invitation to the Discord. The best thing about Discord is that it's free, and it's a place where you can come and hang out with other people who mostly just post like scary movie memes. <laughs> but they're wildly entertaining. Next up, I will be reading some of my favorite responses to this week's worst case scenario. And um, I think that's going to be it for the show. This has felt like a very quick one. I guess I didn't really dive too deeply into any of the movies because I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. So... Yeah, this has been a pretty quick episode. It will definitely require a lot less time to listen to than it required for me to edit it. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> Recording a podcast, is a, it's like a muscle. And if you don't use it, say since January, um, you lose it. And the next thing you know, you're talking 200 miles a minute and annoying the ever-living shit out of yourself <laughs> during the editing process. Hopefully you won't know just how difficult this episode has been to edit, but trust me, it's it's been hard, <laughs> but I'm back. And if I could just stick to my friggin' schedule, then I wouldn't fall out of practice as I did. Anyway, worst case scenario, coming right up. All right, welcome to our very first worst case scenario segment. Evidently, I cannot make up my mind as to whether or not I want to pronounce it scenario or scenario. <laughs> So I guess I'm just going to pronounce it both ways until my brain settles on one. <laughs> the worst case scenario, it's a very simple thing. I just post a hypothetical question relevant to the horror genre all over social media and then read my favorite results. When I describe it, it sounds boring, but I don't find it boring. I find it very entertaining. I love reading everybody's answers and it requires very little scripting. So it's an easy segment for me to just drop into my episodes. So I would like to do more of this moving forward. I think it's fun. So the question that I asked this week, and I, I really only asked it yesterday, um, but I got a lot of responses. I'm very happy about that. If you had to be housebound with one killer or monster from a horror film, who would you choose and how would the two of you pass the time? If you are listening to this and you answered the question and I don't read your answer aloud, I apologize. A couple of them are overtly political and I'm not going to read those. And it's funny to me because several responses that I got were about knowing exactly who mine was going to be. Like several people said, I know who you're going to pick. I know what your answer is going to be. Yes. Okay, you're right. All of you are correct. It would be Herbert West. And I think you know what we'd be doing together. I'm just kidding. I'm a lady. My hope is that he would teach me how to create the reagent. And I would imagine that would take a little while. I don't really have anything that we could reanimate with it. We don't have any pets, and I would not kill my pet if I had one just so that I could reanimate it with Herbert West, probably. I don't know, maybe afterward we would quiz each other on science. <laughs> uh, my friend Brett also said Herbert West initially. He said, I want to say Herbert West, but then I'm going to have to dig up bodies or kill people. <laughs> it's true, Herbert West has very limited interests, but they're important ones. So he changed his answer. He said, if I can get Paul Marsh out of the ocean, I would love to just talk about what happened to him after he found out what he was. It's <laughs> a really good answer. I assume he's talking about Paul Marsh from Dagon, uh, which is another Stuart Gordon film that I failed to mention earlier. Jordy said Jigsaw, just sitting around the house making Rube Goldberg machines all day. I could see that being really entertaining. <laughs> yeah, see, I think that could be fun. Little arts and crafts with Jigsaw. <laughs> Steve said, The Bride of Frankenstein, we would pass the time sewing interesting things, which if you knew Steve, I love the idea of him sitting at home making dresses with Elsa Lancaster. <laughs> Hopefully she'd be able to work the needle. I know her motor skills were compromised to say the least. John says Freddy Krueger. There were actually a couple of people who said Freddy Krueger. John seems to be referring specifically to like later era Freddy Krueger because he makes note of his excellent sense of humor. And that's true. I think if I were going to be trapped at home with Freddy Krueger, I would definitely want it to be like Freddy's dead era Freddy because he would be a lot more fun, a lot funnier. And um, he knows how to rock a power glove. Alan says Dracula because he's already an expert recluse. Plus, I have the same sleep schedule as he does. We would probably pass the time making sick beats together. Alan, by the way, for those of you who are not familiar with him, is the guy who created my intro, outro, and segue music. 
I think that he and Dracula would make beautiful music together. Bruce says Candyman, because as long as I didn't say his name or know someone who did, I'm pretty sure I'm safe, and I might also get to hang with Virginia Madsen. Plus, you know he'll have the 411 on local artisan honey. <laughs> That's so true. Man, your coffee would never taste better than it did if you made it with Candyman around. Susie Q says Bill Skarsgård's It, and we would do a table reading of the movie, which would be so meta and so weird. <laughs> if you could get Pennywise to do a table reading of a movie, do you think his head would explode? If he did a table reading of a movie wherein he is a character? That was just a fancy way of saying you wanted to be trapped in a house with Bill Skarsgård. I'm on to you, Susie. <laughs> Siege said, Jason Voorhees, we would have so much common ground. We're both mama's boys and former fat kids. <laughs> was Jason Voorhees a fat kid? I mean, I know that he had some heftier moments throughout the course of the series, but I think he was like a scrawny little thing. P-Funk Starchild, whose username I love, uh, just posted a picture of Hannibal Lecter. That's it. Just a picture of Hannibal. Uh, he did add later, we would likely talk about things that pair well with fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> Um, I added the, I added that. <laughs> Ian also said Freddy Krueger, and he said that they would watch Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> so if Freddy Krueger watched Edward Scissorhands, would he either A, roast Edward, or would he be incredibly envious of Edward? Because Edward does have just award-winning Scissorhands, literally. Like, they're amazing. And he has them on both hands, whereas Freddy is just limited to one. But do you think Freddy appreciates his wider range of motion? I don't know, but I'll tell you right now, the image in my head of Freddy Krueger sitting on a couch watching Edward Scissorhands is making me very profoundly happy. So what about you guys? If you had to be housebound with a killer or monster, who would you choose? And what would you guys do to pass the time? I would love to hear your answers. Come to the Discord and tell me. My hope moving forward is that I can use this time that I now have on my hands to record considerably more episodes than I would normally have time for. And now that I feel like I'm finally settling back into the swing of things, that should be feasible. This is going to sound cheesy, but I have really missed talking with you guys. And I get that I'm the only person in the room, usually. And uh, it's just me and my microphone. But I've always felt like when I sit down here, I am sitting down to have a conversation with you. And I, I love that. I missed it so much. I'm really glad to be back. I don't have a specific topic picked yet for my next episode, so I can't really tell you what it'll be about, but it'll be about something. <laughs> stay healthy, stay happy, stay patient. We will get through this. And remember, a scary movie a day keeps depression away.